Well, good morning, everyone. And uh, welcome to worship here at Bolhelvi. It's uh, lovely to see you along uh, for our service this morning. We're going to begin our worship this morning as we uh, listen to the, uh, the hymn, Dear Lord and Father of Mankind. And the words will appear on the screen.
Let's come before God in prayer. Let us pray together. Father, we gather once more this morning to pay attention to the great gift of life and to you, the one who has blessed us with it. And we come to remind ourselves of the truths that we forget so readily in the midst of living, that we take no credit for our own existence, that our time on this earth has a beginning and an end, and how we live in between matters, that our days are played out against an immense backdrop of forces and cycles over which we exercise no control. The world turns without our effort. The seasons change, the rain falls, the sun shines, the crops grow, the leaves fall and decay, making new soil in the fullness of time. And so we see ourselves for what we are, flickers of light on the river of life. Our days, even when long, pass in the twinkling of an eye. And yet, Lord, we gather because we know that this is not the whole story. We gather because we sense that there is more for us than this. And in the stillness of our hearts, we hear an echo that reaches us both from the past and the future, because it's spoken by the one who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who is behind and before. And it tells us that our lives have meaning, that the world has a goal, that the vastness of time and space and the minutiae of our lives are held in everlasting arms, and that in your divine economy, nothing of value shall ever be lost. It tells us that our true home is not this world, beautiful though it is, but the one who made this world. He is our true home. And it calls us to open our hearts and our minds to Him even now, so we might live courageously, love generously, leave this place better than we found it, and in dying, wake to life beyond our dearest dreams. And they call this thing that we do week by week, coming to church. God, it's so much more than that. It's coming back to our senses so we can learn to live the kind of life that you call us to. Forgive us, Father. We are slow to learn and quick to forget, quick to anger and slow to forgive. We need your help, Lord, to bear with ourselves 
and be patient with others. So help us to do what we cannot do and to be what we cannot be in our own strength. And may the awareness of your forgiveness shown to us in the life, death, and resurrection of your Son be the strength and the song of our lives this day and evermore. Because we ask all these things in Christ's name. And in his name we pray together saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our reading this morning is taken from John's Gospel, John chapter 1, and reading verses 35 to 42. And I'm reading from the New International Version this morning. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning round, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew Simon, Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah. This is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which, when translated, is Peter. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among which are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I can't pretend that I've ever read the American Declaration of Independence, but I'm pretty sure that most of us have heard that section of it at some point in our lives, the section that speaks about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And in the context of this morning's reading from John, it's that last phrase that I want to hone in on for a moment, our unalienable right to the pursuit of happiness. It sounds noble and self-evident, and I don't doubt that the writers had good things in mind when they penned it. But when you stop and think about it for a moment, it raises a shed load of questions. For starters, is happiness the ultimate good? Let a child eat three times his fair share of birthday cake 
and he will undoubtedly be happy for a while at least until the stomach ache kicks in. But does that mean that it's right to let him keep stuffing his face? Or what if I can only secure my happiness at the expense of yours? What if I have to deny you your slice of birthday cake so I can get the three pieces I need in order to be happy? And is it even possible to pursue happiness anyway? Doesn't life show us that happiness tends to be something that we experience as we do something else, gardening or running or walking the dog or playing a piece of music that we love? And as we do those things, we might have a moment of awareness where we go, oh, I'm happy. But we didn't set out to pursue happiness in the first place. And that actually might be a good thing because there's compelling evidence that pursuing happiness above all else might actually end up making us miserable. Nat Rutherford, a political theorist at the University of London, says that in our secular modern world, happiness is the closest thing that many people have to an ultimate good. Lots of folk don't believe in God anymore, and so we have to replace him with something, and happiness seems to be the thing that we're all aiming for, and yet more and more aspects of our lives are being judged solely in terms of their ability to generate happiness. Does your relationship, your job, your home, your body, your diet make you happy? Well, if not, the spirit of the age says you better change it because you're obviously doing something wrong. But that kind of thinking leaves us badly prepared to deal with real life, which isn't predisposed to our happiness. People get sick, or they die, or they lose their jobs, or they fall in and out of love. Our lives can be thrown into chaos with one phone call that brings bad news, and we can't stop any of it from happening. So what happens then if we've decided that happiness is all that makes life worth living? Happiness is important, and it's natural to want more of it, but even secular theorists are reminding us that it's not the be-all and end-all in life. It's great when we have it, but if we're going to mature as human beings, we also have to be able to endure the times when we have to live without it. Now, all of that is a way into thinking about the question that Jesus asks these two disciples, Andrew and one who is unnamed. And Jesus turns around, sees them following after him, and he says, what do you want? And I like to think there's a smile in his eyes as he asks that question. And I'm not even sure that they knew how to answer him. What did they want? Well, I guess they just wanted some time with him, finding out who he was, what he said about himself, finding out why John the Baptist, this man who they held in great honor, considered this guy so important that he called him the Lamb of God. And what did that phrase even mean anyway? 
But of course, these aren't the kind of conversations you can have in the middle of the high street. So instead, they say, teacher, where are you staying? And if Jesus had said uh, 219 Jericho Avenue, they wouldn't have said, oh, that's great, Jesus. Thanks for clarifying. Have a good day. And gone on their way happily. Asking where he was staying was their way of saying, we want to have a proper chat with you, Jesus. Can you give us some of your time? And God always has time for those who go looking for him. And that's why Jesus' response is both generous and kind. Come, and you will see, he says. And the hours that they spent together that afternoon were the beginning of it all, as far as gathering disciples was concerned. And it all hinged on that one simple question that Jesus asked of them. What do you want? That is such a huge and important question. And yet I would guess that most of us give very little time to it. We're so busy getting on with life that we rarely lift our heads long enough to get the big picture and think about where we're actually going. Somebody once confessed that he had spent his best years in life trying to climb the ladder only to get very far up it and then realized late in life that he'd been climbing the wrong ladder all along. Maybe the one most important thing you can take away from this service is that image of Jesus looking at you with kindness in his eyes and asking, what do you want? And I'd really encourage you to sit with that question this week. Sit with the question, sit with God in prayer and try and bring up the answer from within yourself to that question. What is it that you really want? And is your life commensurate with it? Is it taking you where in your heart of hearts you want to go? I would guess if we were to do that exercise and compare notes that the same kind of things would keep cropping up. What do I want? Well, I want to love and to be loved. I want to know that my life and my work have some significance. I want security. I want purpose. I want peace of mind. I want meaningful relationships with people, enough to help me know my place in the world. I want to enjoy my life. Those kind of thoughts, I think, are common to all of us. And I want to stress that all of them are good in themselves, but rather like happiness. When we make any one of those things the ultimate good and lift it up and make that the thing that we're pursuing above all else, it risks turning bad, like milk going sour. We all know people who spend their lives chasing the feeling of falling in love instead of learning to actually knuckle down and love a real person, warts and all. We all know people who seem willing to sacrifice their family on the altar of their career. We all know folk who are so focused on keeping things safe and managed all the time that their horizon shrinks to the few people and places that they feel truly safe 
with, and they end up living an atrophied life. Our desire for love and significance and happiness and security are good in themselves. But our gospel reading this morning is reminding us that none of those goods is the ultimate good. The ultimate good is the Christ who is reaching out to you now in kindness and asking you what it is that you want. Andrew and the other disciple followed Jesus because they were beginning to suspect that this man, more than any other, knew how to live well, loving God, loving the neighbor, and that he could show them how to do the same. And they were exactly right. That's just what Jesus wanted to do. And when he said, come and see, he wasn't just inviting them back to where he was staying for the afternoon although it was certainly that, but he was also inviting them to a journey on which they would see so much more. Come and see what it looks like when God chooses to make his home in human nature. Come and see what humanity looks like when it's fully surrendered to God. Come and see what happens when you approach the other based on the unconditional love that God has for them. Come and see what it looks like when you're so secure in your standing with God that you can give away your very life knowing that it will still be held safely in His hands. Come and see. Come and see because you can't see while you're trying to keep everything at a safe distance. You can't see by proxy through somebody else's eyes or piggybacking on somebody else's faith. You can't see if your mind and your eyes are distracted all the time by other things. And that's why he says, come and see. It needs a response. It needs a decision. It needs a movement. Folks, God knows us. He's lived in our skin. And He knows human being from the inside. He knows what we want and He knows what we need. He has compassion upon us. But he also knows that it's in the company of Christ that all our desires find their proper place. Seek first the kingdom, Jesus said, and all these other things will be added unto you as well. Seek Christ and you will know love, a love that will never fail you or let you down. Seek Christ and you'll begin to know a joy in life that transcends the fleeting beauty of happiness, which at best is a will of the the wisp. Seek Christ and you'll come to know a meaning that gives your life purpose. 
and a deep sense of security that allows you to be courageous in the face of everything that life throws at you. Seek Christ with heart, soul, strength, and mind, and all of the rest will be given to you in good time. Seek and you will find all that your heart desires. There's a story that's told about a wealthy man who shared a passion for art collecting with his son, and together they traveled around the world adding works by Picasso, Van Gogh, and Monet, and many others to their collection, which they generously loaned to the local museum. And in time, war fell upon the land, and the man's son volunteered to go and serve his country in the battlefield. And after a few months, his father received the news that he had been dreading when a telegram arrived saying that his beloved boy had been killed in action. The color seemed to drain out of his life and nothing felt worth his time and effort any longer. But then one day, there was a knock at his door and when he went to open it, there was a soldier there holding a large package in his hand. And this man explained that he had served alongside the art collector's son and he wanted to tell him how his last hours had unfolded and also leave him with a memento of him. And it turned out that the soldier was an artist and he painted a portrait of the boy as he had remembered him in the days before his death. He unwrapped the package tentatively and although the trained eye could have spotted many flaws in it, the artist had captured the boy's face very well. And his father was overcome with emotion as he took the painting into his hands. He thanked the artist soldier profusely and promised to hang the painting in pride of place above the fireplace, moving a piece by constable out of the way to make room for it. Many years later, the old man passed on and the art world was buzzing with anticipation with the collector widowed and now dead. And his only son killed in action. Most of the collection was going to be put up for sale. But to everyone's surprise, the first item on the list was the painting of the man's son. The auctioneer asked for an opening bid of a hundred pounds, and there was a long silence. And eventually somebody shouted, there's no interest, get on with the good stuff. No, the auctioneer insisted, we're under clear instructions to sell this painting first. Finally, a friend of the old man spoke up, I'll give you a hundred pounds for the painting, that's all I have. I knew the boy and I'd like to buy it to keep his memory alive. I have a hundred pounds for the painting of the sun. Will anybody go higher, said the auctioneer. There were no takers. So he raised his gavel and he said, going once, going twice, gone to the gentleman standing on my right. 
And then he followed that with words that no one was expecting to hear. Ladies and gentlemen, the auction is now over. What do you mean it's over? The people cried. We didn't come here for a picture of some old guy's son. What about all these masterpieces? They're worth millions of pounds. What's going on here? It's very simple, said the auctioneer. It's written here in the Father's will. Whoever accepts the Son will also inherit everything else. What do you want? Jesus asks those two disciples and you and me this morning. And of course, we want love and meaning security, a sense of belonging to people and place, it almost goes without saying. That's what all human beings want. But beyond that, we're called to be the people who say, Lord, you know what I want and I need better than I do. But before all of these things, what I want most is you. And I trust that if I gain you, everything else I need in life will follow. Amen. And thanks be to God for his word. Caroline Daniel is now going to lead us in our prayers for others. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we praise and thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us and to take away our sin. And when Jesus asks us, what do you want? We pray for wisdom to choose his kingdom and his righteousness so that we might have life in all its fullness and not just some pale limitation. Creator God, we pray for governments and authorities around the world, for wisdom and good judgment, to manage the COVID pandemic for the benefit of all and not just the richest. In our interconnected living, reports show the disproportionate ill effects of the pandemic on gender equality, children's education, mental health, as well as injustice in vaccine distribution. We pray for all those working in essential services that supply goods and services and those that care for us. Help us all to be responsible in the things that we do in our lives to prevent the spread of the virus, especially now as lockdown eases. We thank you for the vaccines and the skilled scientists who developed them and ask that all will respond positively to the offer. Merciful God, we pray for peace in our troubled world. We pray for areas of ongoing conflict like Yemen, Syria, Afghanistan, Ukraine and South Sudan, where so many innocent families suffer. We pray for all families whose homes are disrupted by anger and bitterness and where relationships are breaking up, made worse by the stress of the pandemic. We thank you for the gift of your Son, our Saviour, who walks with us on life's journey and, as he lifted the hearts of his friends when they saw him raised from the dead, May he travel alongside all who are struggling with their family life. 
Faithful God, we hold before you all who find it difficult to trust in you. We pray that you will push aside their doubts and fears and bring them hope, comfort and healing, and with it an inner peace. Heal those who are sick in mind, body and spirit. May they regain their strength and health. Merciful God, we remember before you those who have died in the hope of the resurrection. We pray for the bereaved, and in particular the Queen and the Royal Family as they mourn the passing of Prince Philip. Help us to always remember that death could not hold your Son, Jesus Christ, and that new life for him means new life for all who believe in him. Heavenly Father, you have taught us that all creation is your handiwork. Grant us your grace that we may exercise wise stewardship of this earth, tread lightly upon it, and cherish its resources, that our children may enjoy its riches throughout all generations, and your name be glorified through all that you have made. Merciful Father, we ask that you accept these prayers for the sake of your Son, our risen Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Caroline. We're going to close our worship now in the words of Seek Ye First. And this one is going to be a, a video that we can listen to and enjoy.
now go in peace to love and to serve the Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore.